Welcome back to New Jersey Living, the podcast. This is episode four. And today, this has been one of those days I've been looking forward to. Uh, it makes me think back to one of those 90 iconic 1990s uh, hip-hop songs. Uh, MCs act like they don't know. And the line was in there that says, this is the one you've waited all year for. So this is certainly what that episode that you will want to tune in. I have today with me uh, Kyle Kovats, who's associated, affiliated with... Uh, Multi, uh, Kovats Multifamilies, and he is just a wealth of knowledge. I walk away just really enriched every time I'm in an event where he's speaking, and I am grateful for him taking the time to come and drop some of that knowledge here on New Jersey Living, the podcast. So let's get it started and enjoy the ride. Welcome to New Jersey Living, the podcast, where we explore all things New Jersey real estate. I'm your host, Corey Jones, a real estate agent with Coldwell Banker and team leader of the New Jersey Living Group. We're a team of experienced agents who specialize in residential sales in several counties ranging from Bergen County in northern New Jersey to Ocean County down the shore. On this podcast, we will talk to real estate experts, local business owners, community leaders, and town officials to get the inside scoop various towns in New Jersey. We'll discuss everything from the latest market trends to featured local attractions with dining, recreation, and entertainment. Whether you're a current resident, a prospective buyer, or just curious about New Jersey real estate, we have something for you. So sit back, relax, and join us for a conversation about all things New Jersey living. All right, as I said, we are here with Kyle Kovats, and I'm going to just let Kyle drop in a little info, a little information about himself, introduction, uh, just so we can get a feel for who he is and what he does. All right, Kyle, welcome aboard. Thanks for having me, Corey. Appreciate it. So, yeah, as Corey was making mention of, um, I'm Kyle Kovats with Kovats Multifamily. Um, we are a company that buys apartment complexes down in Texas. Uh, Dallas and Houston in particular. We currently own and manage a little over 1,100 units um, down in Dallas and Houston. We previously also owned in Phoenix. We sold our uh, last property out there back in November of 2022. Um, I've been involved in real estate since 2011 uh, when I first got licensed. Started off doing rentals in the Hoboken market. And then after that, uh, started doing brokerage in the North Jersey Burbs uh, starting around like 2013. Uh, 2016, I was named to the National Association of Realtors 30 Under 30 that year. Um, you know, once I did that and I started making, you know, really good money selling homes, uh, it was around 2015 or so when I started really getting actively, you know, involved in real estate investing from everything from subdivisions, flips, Airbnbs, uh, two to four family apartment complexes as both a limited partner and general partner and syndicates. And uh, that's majority of what I focus my time on today. Got it. Got it. Yeah. That 30 under 30 is uh, something very, something very familiar to me. My broker who Kyle knows, uh, Mike Panisi with Coldwell Banker uh, is another one in that group. Uh, and he is a upcoming guest actually. And I, I believe Kyle, you all have something coming up pretty soon, right? If I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Next, uh, next fall, actually, me and Michael are the hosts for the 30 under 30 annual alumni event, which we'll be hosting in, uh, in New York city. So we're Great. pumped about that. It's a honor for, you know, to work alongside Michael, to be able to put that together. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, so today we're going to dive into commercial market, um, and just general investment. Cause I know you, uh, again, you have a wealth of experience and knowledge in that area and with what buyers, investors, are looking at specifically right now in this environment is uh, the challenges that commercial real estate is currently experiencing. And 
I have both clients and listeners and viewers who are looking to either venture out or are currently in that investment space and want to be able to kind of see what's what the forecast is, right? So that's where I'm want to lean into you just to see uh, what what you see right now in the current market and where things are going. Yeah, so I mean, current market wise, a lot of turbulence is ahead. Um, really, really rough. Uh, I, I'm no expert with offices. I think everybody's probably well aware of you know the you know bleak outlook of office right now. You know, we're seeing some office properties trade for you know. 10, 20% of what they traded for just a decade ago. Um, what I really pay attention to closely is, you know, multifamily in particular. I can tell you, you know, and here's a chart that'll, you know, show that to you. There's 4.5 trillion worth of commercial real estate debt outstanding in the country. Of that 4.5 trillion, 1.5 trillion of it matures by the end of 2025. Um, and of that 1.5 trillion, there's about 682 billion of it that is just multifamily alone. Um, the issue with that, that I think we're all well aware of, is interest rates are a lot different today than they were, you know, two, three years ago, ten years ago. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these people, when they first bought these deals, um, you know, they might have bought with an interest rate and or at one point refinanced to a rate of three, three and a half, four, four and a half percent. And right now you're looking at rates of seven and a half, eight percent, nine percent from some lenders. So um, it's a really challenging environment because you've had, you know, cap rate expansion. And when cap rates expand, as you know, you can kind of see on a chart here, valuations go down. You know, cap rates and value are inversely correlated. So in an ideal world, you're going to buy at the you know highest cap rate possible and then sell at the lowest cap rate possible. Right. Well, right now, you know, due to interest rate expansion, cap rates have expanded, which pushes you know valuations down. And if you're in a situation right now when you have to refinance, banks are really tight with lending right now. You know, we remember the you know banking turmoil we had back in the spring and you know March, April, right? With Silicon Valley Bank and things right, like that, right. a lot of banks got tight after that. Um, you know, really, really tight. So really, you know, they're not as loose as they used to be as far as like, eh, we could you know cut you a break on this, cut you a break on that. Now it's like, look, maximum leverage we're going to give you is sixty five percent loan to value ratio. We're very tight. We need to see at least one point two five x debt service coverage ratio. And uh, if it doesn't, you know, match that, we're not going to be lending you money. So these people who have great performing loans right now, but they're hitting a maturity, it's unique because the distress that I believe we're going to see this cycle is typically distress means you have like a 70% occupied property. There's deferred maintenance. You know, it's it's been filled up with bad tenants because they just tried to fill it with anybody they can fill it up with. Right now you have properties 90 plus percent occupied being managed quite well, has good tenants in place, but they're just facing a loan maturity and there's nothing they can do about that. And they're being left with one of two options, really, and neither is a good one. You know, those one or two options is sell at an inopportune time to sell due to where rates are, or refinance and having to hit up your investors for money to bring to the table, um, and could be a significant chunk of money to the table too. So, you know, it's really choosing what's the uh, what's the best of two bad scenarios. Understood. And and, and when we talk about mature uh, maturity, is there a general time frame on how how these uh, finance packages are 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 structured. Like I know you mentioned maturity a couple of times. Are we talking what five year, ten year? What are we talking? 
Yeah, so for these loan maturities, uh, you know, again, about 1.5 of the uh, 4.5 trillion outstanding is maturing by the end of 2025. Now, a lot of those loans are loans that were just taken out in the past two or three years on floating rate bridge debt. Right. And floating rate bridge debt, if you took one out, you know, even two years ago, we took out one and fortunate we bought a rate cap on it to mitigate our, you know, upside risk on rates. Okay. Um, but there's a lot of people who didn't take out rate caps. So their rate started off at like, let's say three and a quarter. And right now, based on you know where Fed funds is, they're they're approaching nine percent, and they might have underwrote that deal at like a three and a half, four percent, four and a half percent interest rate because they looked at the you know Fed futures and Fed futures, the Fed you know dot plot, the Fed themselves was saying, hey, we're not going to get above this. They said by the end of 2023, you know they didn't foresee themselves getting a getting you know towards like you know one one and a half, and yeah. now all of a sudden you know we're range bound between five point two five to five point five, so they're in a really bad spot and you know they might have gone in with all these assumptions that okay the fed's saying this well the fed said that that didn't wind up being the case and you know now we're still not even sure does the fed have another hike left in them you know some people say yes some people say no um the market price is less than a 50% chance by the end of the year that they will hike again but you never know you know everything's so unpredictable right now and that's uh that's a tough part because you know imagine playing you know any game right a sport you start playing a sport at the beginning of the game the rules are one way but all of a sudden at halftime the rules change and you're right. you know right now we are at halftime um we're not even in the second half yet so we're still in the early innings here absolutely absolutely and it makes me think of uh you know some of your syndication uh, uh projects that you guys have going is that something that is it a regional dynamic to this? So a certain region is going to feel this more than others, or is this something that we can expect pretty much nationwide? Yeah, this is a nationwide thing. So wherever you have commercial properties, that's where, you know, you're going to feel this for sure. Um, commercial real estate's not unique necessarily to one market over another. But with that being said, you know, I don't really specialize in the office sector, but the urban cores, like, you know, your big cities, your New York cities, your Los Angeles's, your, your Chicago's, where you have a lot of those big high rise, you know, commercial buildings, office buildings, um, they're going to feel a lot of pain. Right. And you could see this. There's there's data put out by TREP, you know, every single week showing the distress, showing the defaults, showing, you know, Owners literally just handing keys back to the bank saying that, look, our equity's wiped, you know, here you go. Um, you're seeing this really all throughout the country. It's not just, you know, in the East Coast, on the West Coast. It's, you know, in the middle of the country, too, in, you know, areas like Chicago, you know, big cities perhaps like, you know, could be in a, a Dallas, could be in a Houston, you know, could be in a Nashville or Miami, really everywhere. Commercials getting whacked. Yes, yes. I mean, that's. That's something that's playing everywhere, right? It's the same tune. Um, I've not heard of anything different from any area of the country, but just was curious if uh, your experience was saying otherwise. Now, I know uh, just to jump back into cap rate. So uh, some investors relatively, because when I say investors, you have uh, investors that are looking large scale, like some of these apartment complexes. Then you have investors that are more looking for flip opportunities or for multifamily, right? Um, but uh some that are relatively new, that whole concept of cap rate or that term is relatively new. So just give a little rundown of what you were, what do you mean by cap rate and how that, uh, what's the significance of it when you're looking at an investment um, opportunity? Sure. Yeah. So cap rate is just taking the net operating income the property is generating before you pay your loan, divided by what the valuation or sales price happens to be. So, you know, as an example, Two years ago, three years ago, when you know Fed funds was basically zero, um, you know cap rates 
really, I mean, very regularly we're trading the low fours and the threes. Um, but now there's more risk involved because interest rates are higher. So, you know, as an investor, you need to be compensated for that risk. So as an example, if I was buying a property for a million bucks and it was showing uh, $50,000 net operating income, um, that would be a 5% cap rate. But now, you know, we look at treasuries, right? You could get treasuries, you know, uh, from the U.S. government, you know, the golden standard of what is safe, you know, in this world as far as investment. You can get treasuries above 5%. Um, so people are saying, hey, if I'm going to invest in a risk asset, you know, something like real estate as an example, I need to be compensated for that risk. And then cap rates expand. And if you run the numbers on it, it makes such a difference when a cap rate goes upwards as far as like it puts downward pressure on rents, um, excuse me, on valuations. So, you know, the example I'll give, and you know, it's in a chart right here, is that if you bought a property at a four and a half percent cap rate for a million bucks, and let's just assume you put down, you know, 35, you know, million worth of equity, a $65 million loan, if that property, the income on it stays identical, identical, and the cap rate now moves from four and a half to six and a quarter, the valuation drops all the way down to like 72 million. So that's a $28 million drop. That's a 28, we could use percentages because the numbers are round and even, that's a 28% drop in valuation just because the cap rate only went from four and a half to six and a quarter. You can imagine the cap rates went higher. And the crazy part was, you know, two years ago, the delta between like your high quality, like luxury, newer construction properties, you know, cap rates and the 1970s, 1960s properties with deferred maintenance, you know, that they needed all these renovations done on the infrastructure on the property, the heating and cooling system, so on and so forth. That delta was almost nothing. Well, that delta is back. So the, you know, the B and C class properties, they're now trading at significantly higher cap rates. The A class has expanded as well, but not nearly as much. Um, you know, we classify properties by A being the best, kind of like grades in the school right. and, you know, F being the worst. Um, I've never heard of an F class property. <laughs> I'm sure they're out there, but typically most brokers will say A, B, C, and then, you know, some D as well. Got it. Got it. And, um, uh, and that makes me think of, um, as well, when you say the different class properties, if, um, you're looking for opportunity for investment, um, uh, it makes sense to target a lower grade because of the upside with, you know, renovating and making improvements, right. Um, on your end, it, do, is the mindset to slow down a little bit or to back off a little bit? Some of these, um, investments just because of the market conditions right now. Yeah, we haven't bought anything in about a year and a half. Okay. Um, the last thing we went under contract on was back in May, June of 2022. Okay. Um, you know, we started seeing some of this from speaking with lenders, speaking with brokers that, um, hey, look, some of these properties that were bought, you know, this year, a year prior, they're not doing so well. They have a loan maturity they're facing down in 2024. We started getting data showing that, you know, again, at that time, I think it was last summer, there was something like 500 billion that was going to be due. Now, obviously new loans come out, which increases that it's 682, 682 billion matures in multifamily before 2025. And we ran the numbers on this. If you took out an, a loan with an interest rate of four and a half percent or less, the minimum debt service coverage ratio you would need in order to requalify for a refinance at today's rates, and we just use six and a half, which is generous now at this point, at a six and a half percent rate would be 1.81x. Now, what does that mean? That would mean that if your monthly mortgage payment was a thousand bucks, you need to have roughly about, you know, 1800 in income coming in to even qualify for a refinance. And if your rate's lower, you know, that gets all the way down. I, I ran the numbers at 3%. 
If your interest rate is 3%, then in order to re-qualify at a 6.5% rate, your debt service coverage ratio has to be 2.72x or more, mm. which is really an outlandish number. The reason yeah. I say that is because if you get that good as far as like income on the property, both you and your investors start questioning, we have way too much equity tied up in this property and we could qualify for a massive refinance and pull some cash off the table and deliver cash back to us and our investors. So let's do that. And it's a very common strategy that people use. But, you know, unfortunately, what's happened this time is the Fed has raised rates at a faster pace than they ever have before. And, you know, they really caught a lot of people off guard because, remember, their, their forward guidance as recently as December of 2021, and, you know, you could see it here in the uh, Fed funds chart from them, um, their forward guidance, you know, showed that by the end of 2022, they were basically going to be at zero. By the end of 2023, they were going to be, you know, around like, you know, one or so. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it changed. It changed drastically. And when it did, you know, change that drastically, um, you know, it, it hurts a lot of people's underwriting. It hurts a lot of people's deals. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but um, for a lot of people, it's going to mean forced selling. And when they do are forced to sell, they're, you know, likely going to have to sell for a, you know, pretty big haircut. Yeah. Yeah. No question. Now for someone in that investment space, um, a, a pause or a shift of some kind is warranted, right? Um, and if you are, what what is your alternative? Is it the type? Of course, you're you know as you mentioned a couple times already, you're not so much into the office space, you know, kind of uh, uh, market, if you will. But if you're peeling back a little bit and you're taking a pause, do you take a shift to something that's more like, um, say, multifamily properties that you can buy and and you know manage or or potentially flip? Is there an alternative? You know, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, so I would say my pause is ending right now. Okay. Um, and the reason I say that is because, you know, we've paused for like the past 18 months or so um, waiting for this and we are starting to see it. So it was more or less like an anecdotal thing. It was a theory thing that we had, you know, based on the information that we were gathering. And then we started seeing it in some of the data. Um, but now we're actually starting to see it come. We're starting to see some of these distressed properties hit the market. We're getting, you know, hit up by brokers saying, hey, I got this deal. Uh, the owner, you know, was kind of hesitant to bring it to market because if it doesn't get the bids, then they're afraid that, you know, they're going to get kind of exposed here. So, mm. you know, would you be willing to buy this off market? You can get it for, you know, less than the price they bought it for in 2020. Okay. And a lot of the times it's because it's been mismanaged. Unfortunately, they haven't managed it properly. They've gotten occupancy down, you know, again, um, those are the, that's the early ones that are coming on. I think next year you're going to see distress coming on the market. That's not true distress. The distress that comes on the market is going to be properties that simply just hit a loan maturity. Mm. I actually was just looking at today. Um, there's this newsletter called CRE daily and they put out all this different data, something along the lines of 62% of all new troubled loans are simply just troubled because they're hitting loan maturities. It has nothing to do with anything else. The properties are cranking right now. They're doing really well. You know, they're collecting income, you know, as, as they normally do. It's just, they're facing down a loan maturity and due to where interest rates are right now, you know, getting financing now versus getting financing two, three years ago is a totally different story. So it's it, it, the number that they, it was actually in this morning's newsletter, 62%. Um, of the loans that are, you know, facing trouble in CMBS is simply because all loans are facing maturities. Got it. And and when it comes to distress, it's not so much the physical condition. It's that, right? It's just the maturity exactly. dynamic. All right. And yeah, it's just a maturity wall. Is, and by and large, did they take, when we're talking maturity, we're saying they were adjustable rate. Is that what it, that's what we're saying? 
some of them, but not all of them. Yeah. A, a good bulk of them that are coming up next year, um, they are floating rate debt. But even if they were fixed rate debt, like if you were fixed, but you were only fixed for five years, okay. you know, between 2019 to 2024, um, you know, you might have been able to fix in 2019 for four and a half. Okay. Uh, we took out a loan in 2019. I'm, I, I know our rate on that was like four, seven and change. So, you know, assume they might have been able to fix at four and a half. But now, you know, if the rates stay where they are right now, you know, we're, when we're recording today where, you know, you're around seven and a half, um, it's a totally different environment. So, you know, even that, even if they'd grown income, you know, over the past few years, which pretty much most properties that were operated properly should have, right. um, they're just in a really tough spot because where rates are debt, you know, loan proceeds get cut by the lender, which means you got to bring more equity to the table. And that means calling your investors and, you know, making a capital call. And nobody wants to do that. You know, nobody wants to make a capital call to their investors because that's frowned upon. You know, what's more frowned upon is, you know, losing investor money. But yes. um, that's obviously the thing you would never want to do. But capital calls, you know, you would try to avoid them in all circumstances as well. Yeah, not a great situation, right? Not a great space to be in to have to call and <laughs> right. ask for a little bit yeah. more money, right? Um, so if I'm understanding correctly, uh, by and large, we're talking about a five-year uh term before maturity, right? What's, what is the strategy or the plan then going in? Is it that after, by the time maturity reaches, it's going to be sold off by that point in time, or is the expectation to refinance prior to that? So the bulk of multifamily loans will be between five to 10 years. Um, okay. It'll be a five to 10 year loan on a 30 year amortization schedule. So even though the loan's only five or 10 years, you're paying it back as if you borrow the money over 30. Right. And the more interest only years you can get, the better because it juices your cash flow. Um, the thing why a lot of people opt for shorter term bridge debt in the commercial space is because unlike the residential one to four family space where, you know, I could take out a loan today and I could refinance a year later, there's no penalty for that. In commercial, you have prepayment penalties. Okay. So if you prepay that loan before it hits maturity, you get hit with enormous prepayment penalties. To give you an example, we had a loan in Arizona um, that we sold this property back in November of 2022, you know, we had to pay a seven figure prepayment penalty on that. Wow. Um, now with that being said, it, the numbers still worked for us cause we bought it for 11.6 and we sold it for 25. Okay. So, you know, it was a, it, it was numbers that just made sense net effectively for us. But the good thing that people like with the bridge loans and the shorter term loans is bridge loans in particular, don't have that prepayment penalty attached to them. So, you know, you could sell two, three years later and not have to worry about that seven figure prepayment penalty. So they got really popular because as people were selling properties and getting whacked with these seven figure, you know, prepayment penalties, they were like, Hey, you know, we're losing a ton of money, you know, selling these properties. So why don't we look into a loan option where we don't get hit with a prepayment penalty if we're going to hold it for five years. And that is part of the reason why people went into bridge loans. The other part of it was because leverage got cut significantly by the two main lenders in the space, which is Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, you know, back in 2021, 2022, some cases they were, you know, only qualifying you for 30% leverage, um, which is, you know, very low because if you're buying a property for 10 million, only getting a $3 million loan, got to bring 7 million in equity to the table, it's going to hurt returns. Um, but again, in hindsight, hindsight's 2020 in hindsight, you would have said, well, damn, maybe we should have done that. Maybe we should have, you know, locked in that, you know, just 30% leverage at a 3% rate. Right. Um, right. but again, at, at that time, you know, fed funds futures look totally different than what they look like now. Got it. Got it. All right. So, and before we, um, we're getting 
close to uh, kind of that wind down time. I, I, one thing that uh, a lot of clients of mine are not familiar with, particularly first time buyers, they're the first time encountering uh, purchasing property in general. And what I do try to educate them on a little bit is real estate investing and real estate investment opportunities that uh, don't necessarily mean they have to take on and manage property themselves. And that's where I get into a conversation about syndication. Right. So I just wanted to have uh, just a little piece that you can kind of give a quick rundown of what syndication is, what it's about, how it operates and, uh, you know, some of uh, what your personal experience has been with it. Sure. Yeah. So the best way to explain syndication is it's basically like investing in real estate without doing any of the work yourself. Um, if you're a limited partner investing into a syndicate, like a passive investor. So I started investing in syndicates back around 2015, 2016. Um, you can invest in any type of syndicate for like self storage, industrial data centers. I like multifamily personally, um, just because I have a very simple mind. And for me, it's heads and beds. And I know that there's a lot of people who need to put their heads in bed. So um, it's simple, you know, it, it's very easy to understand. So Historically, you know, looking at the numbers, it usually, you know, has, has produced between 16 to 18% average annualized return. Um, my portfolio has been significantly higher than that. And let me just preface it by saying this. That's because between, you know, 2015 to 2022, if you had a pulse and you had money in real estate, I mean, it was kind of hard not to, <laughs> yes. you know, do better than that. No. And it's just the truth of how the market was. The market was insane. Right. Interest rates went down, cap rates went down, which means values went up all the while, you know, rents were going up too. Um, so if somebody does invest into like a syndicate deal, um, you're going to get the benefits of cash flow, you know, during the hold period. Usually in the earlier years, you have less cash flow. Um, for the purpose of usually that's when the bulk of the renovations are done on the property. Um, but usually over a five-year hold on average, what most groups probably target is between six to 8% cash flow alone, um, which means if somebody invested a hundred grand, they could expect to get back between six to 8,000 annually in cash flow distributions. And then like the big pop comes when the property eventually does sell whenever it does sell. Right. Um, so, you know, at that time, maybe your hundred gets returned to you plus an additional, you know, 60,000 over five years, because the goal for most people who are doing syndicates is to produce somewhere between uh, 15 to 18% average annualized return, you know, over that five year hold period. Right. Um, because if you were just producing returns that, you know, were right on par with the stock market, it's a lot easier to just put money into the stock right. market, right? That's why, you know, you have to produce what we call the alpha of, you know, what a real estate will return to you as opposed to the stock market, because syndicates are a liquid as well. You know, when you put, let's say a hundred grand into a syndicate, um, that money is tied up. So if that, properties held for five years, that money's tied up for five years. Whereas with a stock, you can wake up the next day and sell it. Right. So Absolutely. there is that that's why there's got to be, you know, a premium on top of what the stock market would return there. Got it. Got it. Yes. Thanks. Thanks for that. Cause this is something that, um, uh, as I mentioned before, um, many buyers it's enough for them just to buy a house, right. Just to go through mm -hmm. that process of the transaction. And many, uh, are aware of those kind of opportunities, but would rather have more of a passive role than actively being involved in the purchase or the management or the sale, right? Uh, renovation and sale of a actual investment property. So that's a very good insight. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we're right up on time. I, 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 man, we could certainly go longer because I've, you know, I've been in uh, many a presentation of yours where we can sit man for hour plus easily. Uh, but uh, hopefully, you know, we can make another schedule to get you on sooner rather than later. 
uh, to continue to have this type of conversation going moving forward. So thanks again, Kyle, for your time. Uh, also, is there, uh, I didn't know for sure, because you and I usually communicate by email, but is there any website or contact info that you want to throw up? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Corey. I appreciate it. So my website, just kovatsmultifamily.com. So okay. K-O-V-A-T-S, um, just my last name and then multifamily.com. All right. We'll flash that up right now just so everybody has a quick view. Uh, so this is, uh, again, a, a man with a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the commercial space, someone like myself who operates so heavily on a residential side. Every time I have an opportunity to listen in and to get uh, greater understanding and vision of what the current market is and where we're going in the commercial space is very enlightening to me. So I, again, greatly appreciate your time, Kyle. Thank you, Corey. Appreciate it. No Thank problem. You. All right. So thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to New Jersey Living, the podcast. We will be back again in another week with another guest, always focusing in on anything pertaining to real estate, uh, the general community, market. Um, when we talk about market, we're not talking about just real estate market. We're talking dining scenes, social scenes, uh, community events, you name it. If it's New Jersey, we are there to talk about it and to explore it. So until the next time, stay safe and stay tuned to New Jersey Living.